Lust is a powerful giant that paralyzes us and drains us from hope and faith. Today, we'll be looking at three things we need to know to conquer this giant in our lives. This message is the 12th in the series, Gigantic. The message is entitled, A Giant Called Lust, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets this morning as we wrap up a 12-week series. This is our 12th week in the series called Gigantic. We're wrapping it up today talking about the second part of the message that I began last weekend, the giant called lust. We've been taking a look at the whole idea of giants in our lives, big things that are hard to overcome, not just the giants on the outside, but the giants that are on the inside. We talked for a number of weeks about the giant of pain in your heart. How do you deal with a broken heart? How do you put your, your heart, your soul back together when it's been broken and bruised? We talked about how you deal with anger because that's a big giant for a lot of folks. We talked about how you deal with worry because many of us really struggle with anxieties and fears and worries that get in the way of our progress with God. We talked about jealousy and how that oftentimes is something that gets in the way. It's a very subtle thing, but it gets in the way of our progress. All these different internal giants and this last giant talking about this whole issue of lust. How do you and I overcome it? How do we slay that giant even as David slayed Goliath? Let me sort of review for you what we talked about last week. We talked about two things related to lust. We first of all described the fact that lust is something that's after every one of us. There are different kinds of lust. Often we think of lust only in the sexual arena, but there are all kinds of lust. Lust for money, lust for power, lust for control, lust for a variety of things, material possessions, as well as lust for sensual pleasure. And lust is after all of us. It's something that we have to battle on the inside. It's something that's on the outside, the spirits of lust that live in the invisible realm, as we talked about last weekend. And then we also talked about the fact that lust is looking for opportune moments in your life and my life. It's looking for that moment when we're most vulnerable to take advantage of us and to allow us to be caught in its trap. Today I'm going to share with you three more principles about lust that will help you and I to start learning, getting an understanding of how to overcome it, how to slay this giant. And the first principle today is we need to understand from the Bible that lust follows, according to Scriptures, we'll see a predictable pattern in people's lives. It is a, there's a predictable pattern to lust. In fact, there's a predictable pattern to all elements of sin and temptation. Lust never takes control of a person suddenly. It's something that happens over a period of time in predictable stages. And in fact, if you and I are aware of the stages, and this is why it's important, we can actually stop the progression of lust, temptation, before it grabs us. If you've ever been on an airplane, you realize there's a a place when that pilot is taking off on the runway where he can still abort his takeoff. But there also comes a point when he's at what's called the point of no return, that he has to take off. There's no turning back at that moment. And so what we must learn in our spiritual journey is that we need to stop before we get too far down the road, right? And if we don't understand the pattern, if we don't understand some of the stages, we will allow ourselves to get too far and we'll get past what we might call a point of no return, and it leads us into lots of trouble. To help us to understand these stages, I'm going to take you to a very familiar passage in the Old Testament. It's one of the darkest moments in the the life of King David. It's the time when he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery uh, with her, and then also ultimately had had her husband murdered in battle. Let me read this story. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. You can actually read the entire chapter. It's a great chapter to read, but I'm only going to read for you six verses today. Listen as I read. 
In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. That's a very important statement. Where did David remain? Don't miss that part of the story. So where is David? He's in Jerusalem when his troops are out fighting battles with the Ammonites. Okay, very important to get. Verse number two, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. This story reads like a, really a bad novel, a bad sort of soap opera novel, a very low time in David's life, a time when he really messes up a man after God's own heart. And if it can happen to David, a man after God's own heart, there's a lesson to be reminded for, for us to be reminded of today. It can happen to you and me because David was a good guy. David was not a bad guy. He, he made some mistakes, but he was, a, he was a good guy. He loved God, but nevertheless, he fell prey to sin. So if it can happen to David, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. And so we better learn some lessons from David's life or else we potentially can have the same experience, failure, maybe in other areas, may not be the same kind of sin that David experienced, but we must be on guard. We must learn something from his experience. Let's talk about some of the stages that got David into trouble. First of all, the Bible says it was a time when kings were supposed to go out to battle. It was the springtime. The rains had stopped. It was time to go out to battle again. And instead of going out to battle, David said, you know what, I'm kinda, I'd like to hang out this year at home. I'm going to take an extended vacation. I'm just going to send Joab out to fight my battles for me. And so instead of engaging in the work he was supposed to engage in, David disengaged at the wrong time. And he held back. He stayed in Jerusalem. And so that was the first stage. That is, he didn't do, he was idle. He was not doing what he should have been doing with his life. And that was the first thing that got him in trouble. Had he not been in Jerusalem, he would have never gone up to the rooftop. He would have never seen Bathsheba. None of this story would have ever been recorded for us. But his first mistake was the fact that he was where he should not have been at a time when he should not have been there. He was idle in his life. But not only was he idle, but he was also, he had this intent. I believe that David went up on the roof. Maybe he couldn't sleep that night. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why he goes up on the roof. But David knew something about the roof. David had been to the roof before. And David realized that there were certain things that he could see from the rooftop. See, I, I guarantee you that this was not the first time that David had gone out looking among Jerusalem uh, uh, from the rooftop and seeing things he should not have seen. So he was aware that this was not a good place to be, but he had this intent. He was heading in the direction of doing something that was wrong. He was heading in a direction of, that would lead him to the very act that he, he actually uh, in, ends up doing and accomplishing. As he looks out, he sees Bathsheba, and as he sees Bathsheba, his interest is piqued, and he inquires who this is, and then not only does he inquire, but he asks for her to come, and so all of these are stages that are taking place. David could have stopped at any moment. When he got to the rooftop and saw Bathsheba, he could have said, man, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm going back to the bedroom. 
I'm going back downstairs. When he saw Bathsheba, he could have, instead of inquiring about her, could have refused to inquire, or instead of asking for her to come, he could have stopped at that moment. There were all these moments in David's life before he actually sinned that he could have stopped the whole progression. But the problem was David just allowed himself like like a sheep led to slaughter to be led into this trap of the adversary in his life and he ends up committing adultery. Not only does he commit adultery, but as I mentioned a moment ago, it ultimately sets him up for lying and for all kind of bad stuff in his life, ultimately even having Bathsheba's husband murdered. Do you see that there's stages? There were places that David could have gone back and turned back had he been aware, had he been cued into the predictable stages of temptation. I want to talk to you about some of those stages of temptation in your life and my life. In fact, I'm going to share with you six things that you need to be aware of when temptation comes your way so that you can resist. You cannot get to the point of no return in your life. The first thing that happens in temptation is that temptation is something that entices us. There's an enticement to do evil. An enticement means there's something attractive that comes by our way that says, hey, this would be fun, this would be good for you, this is something that you ought to do. And sin never shows up in your life or my life as something that is ugly. It always shows up as something that is pretty, something that is attractive. Think about a fisherman. When a fisherman goes out to catch fish, the fisherman does not throw a a dry hook into the water. The fisherman puts some kind of bait on it, and that bait is attractive to the fish. And depending upon the kind of fish, fishermen understand. You use different bait for different kinds of fish. Why? Because there's certain things that will attract some fish that will not attract others. And the same is true for you and me. We all have our potential attraction points. What you're attracted to from a sin standpoint may not be the same thing that I am attracted to, but we all have those things that can attract us and entice us to do evil. And then once we are enticed, here's the problem. Enticement, being tempted, is not sin. Being enticed to do something wrong is just an enticement. But here's where we start getting into trouble. That's the second predictable stage. That is to entertain that enticement. See, a fish gets in trouble when the fish starts playing around with the bait. I'm just going to nibble on it just a little bit. I'm just going to play around with this just a bit. And so there's not only the enticement, but the entertainment. And the same is true for you and me, that when the adversary comes along and we start entertaining ourselves with the thought, with the idea that potentially this is something that might be, quote, good for us or something we might want to do or something we feel like doing. It's attracting us. It is luring us in. And it lures us into our own self-destruction. I read a story years ago about Eskimos when they try to deal with, with wolves that are ruining their flocks. They're, they're different animals and, and causing havoc for them. And they actually set wolves up for their own self-destruction this way. It's a bit of a, of a, of a gross kind of a analogy, but I guarantee you'll never forget it. What the Eskimos do is they will take a knife, a hunting knife, and they will plant it in the, in the snow, in the ice and snow, blade up. And they'll get a fresh piece of, nice big piece of meat and place it on that hunting knife right down so the blade is hidden. And the wolves will, and, and that piece of meat there on the knife will, will be frozen and uh, it'll be there in the, in the ice and snow. And wolves will start smelling the blood of that meat and they'll be attracted to that, that piece of meat, thinking, hey, this is a free meal. 
And what they do is they start licking and chewing and eating the meat, but they don't stop and realize that at a period, a point in time, they've gone beyond the meat into the blade. And so they think they're actually eating the blood of the meat, but actually they're eating their own blood. They're actually being destroyed themselves. And what happens is it slices them to such a degree that they die. That's how they catch them. It lures them in. There's something attractive there, and the wolf is okay as long as he doesn't entertain it. And the same is true for you and me. We can be enticed when we start getting into trouble when we start entertaining what is enticing us. And then here's what happens. When you're enticed and then you start entertaining, the next thing that happens is you're entrapped. You get hooked. Just like that fish entertains the bait. And then there's that moment when whack, the hook actually gets them and they're reeled in, trapped in, caught in the sin. And you and I, if you look back on your life, you can think about a time that's happened to you. There's something that came along. It was enticing, attractive. You started playing around with it, entertaining it. And before long, it trapped you. It caught you in an action or in an attitude. And then here's what happens with sin. When sin gets a hold of us, it doesn't stop just with one little thing. It reels us in, if you will, to the boat of sin. It pulls us in and expands its influence in our life. Go back and look at David. What happened with David? It started with lust. Lust led to adultery. Adultery led to lying. Lying led to murder. And all of this has this horrible effect upon his life. One thing led to another. Sin is always expansive. It never stops with one little thing. And then what eventually occurs is that it actually envelops our life. We become caught up in it becomes a part of our lives. We actually are enveloped by it. It, be it becomes something we are enamored with, something that actually deceives us to such a degree that we don't even realize how horrible it is. I've been in ministry for about 35 years, and I've had the situation many, many times over these years of talking with people, uh, for example, who've done things like David did, got, were, were caught up in the sin of adultery. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with people trying to help them to understand how horrible this was for their life and for their future. And they will say something like this, Pastor, it can't be bad because it feels so good. It feels so right. It just feels right. I mean, this is my soul mate. Oh, baloney. Okay. Yeah. Because what's going on really is sin is deceiving them. It is enveloping them. It is wrapping around their mind and pulling. They don't even recognize the envelopment process, the enamoring that sin brings about. It's like a person on drugs. They don't even realize that they're, what they're experiencing at the moment is something that's deceptive and false and short-lived. It is going to pass and they're going to hit bottom at some point. And ultimately what occurs with sin, the end result of sin is it extinguishes our spiritual life. It just puts your fire out for God. And that's exactly what the adversary loves. He loves to get out his fire extinguisher and put, it put your fire out for God and to draw you away from God and to distance you from God and to draw away your spiritual life. It's extremely important for us to understand that these kind of things can happen in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, describe this for us. Listen to these words. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted. Notice the stages when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and, what's the word there, enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, what does it do? It gives birth to 
death. Do you see that there is a progressive pattern, a predictable pattern? And what you and I want to do is make sure we don't fall into that pattern, that we stop it in our lives before we get to a point of no return. Here's our second principle today. The second thing we must understand is that you can protect yourself from lust power. That's good news. You can protect yourself from lust's power. To protect simply means to guard, to defend yourself against something. If you knew that an enemy was coming to attack you, you were fully aware of the fact that that enemy was on the way to attack you, what would you do? You'd get ready, wouldn't you? If you, if, you, if you have any wisdom at all, you would get ready for the attack. You would get guarded up. You'd do whatever necessary so that that adversarial force would not have an advantage over you. Now, this is true in the natural realm. It should be true in our spiritual realm as, all, as well because I've already told you that lust is an active power. It is coming after you, whether you realize it or not, it's coming against you. And so, you and I must protect ourselves from it. And how to, what's the best way to protect yourself from lust or any sin? The best way to protect yourself is to become wise. The wiser you are, the less mistakes you're going to make in your life. So wisdom is a phenomenal thing. The wiser you can become, the less mistakes you're going to make, the less problems you're going to get into. Wisdom will save you from lots of stuff. Now, the Bible is very clear about this. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to ask you to read this together with me. Let's all read it aloud and loudly. We're reading from the Living Bible, but listen to what wisdom will do for you. Are you ready? Here we go. Cling to wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She will guard you. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And with your wisdom, develop common sense and good judgment. So the Bible says, if you're going to go after anything in life, don't go after money, don't go after pleasure, don't go after all those other things. Go after what? Wisdom. Make wisdom your number one objective in life. How can I become a wiser person? Why? Because wisdom will protect you. Wisdom will guard you. Wisdom, getting it is the most important thing you can do. So, of course, knowing God is knowing wisdom because God is the wise God. Knowing God's Word is wisdom because this book is a wisdom book for us. And we learn the principles that protect us in times of temptation. So what I wanted to do this weekend is share with you seven wise steps that you can take in the face of any kind of temptation, certainly in the face of lust, that will help you to be protected against it. So I hope that when you leave today, you'll be a bit wiser than you were when you showed up at church this morning. The first thing we must understand according to wisdom, if you want to avoid temptation, especially lust, you have to learn to recognize your vulnerabilities. Your vulnerabilities. See, we're all good at recognizing somebody else's weaknesses, aren't we? But the issue is not somebody else's issue. The issue is your issue. 
It's your problem. It's what's going on with you. Your vulnerabilities. And all of us have vulnerabilities. There are certain, that are certain vulnerabilities that are, that, are, that are the same for all of us. But some of us are not quite the same. Some things will tempt you that would never ever tempt me. And some things might tempt me that would never ever tempt you. Because we all have different areas of weakness. But I can assure you that you will be vulnerable to temptation and especially to lust at certain times in your life. At times when you're tired and fatigued, I assure you the adversary is going to show up and try to lure you into sin. At times when you are emotionally distraught, the enemy will show up in your life and try to offer you solutions for your emotions at that moment that are not good solutions for your life. In fact, that are sinful. At times when, for for example, you might be angry or isolated or feeling insecure. All of these are vulnerable moments. And so part of what you and I need to do if we're going to be wise, you need to know some stuff about yourself. You need to recognize some things about you. You need a good dose of what we often call self-awareness. And self-awareness is being aware of you in your environment, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're going through, so that you can protect yourself against those things that would try to offer you false solutions, false feelings during those times. So the first wise point in your life is gain some self-awareness, know your vulnerabilities. Number two, the second thing, if you want to be wise and protect yourself from temptation and certainly from lust, fill your heart with what? God's Word. Fill up your heart with God's Word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice the psalmist didn't say, I hid your word in my head. He said, I hid your word in my heart. I let the word go from just information to application. Not just information, but revelation. Because see, information will never change you. It's only when it becomes application that it becomes transformational. So information should lead to revelation that leads to application that leads to transformation. That's the process in your life and my life. And so we get it in our, from our heads into our hearts. Why? Because whatever is in you is what will come out of you you when you're under pressure. That's just the way it works. Whatever is in you is going to come out of you whenever pressure shows up in your life. That's why the psalmist said, get God's Word in your heart. Let me ask you, when was the last time you memorized a verse of Scripture? say, Pastor, I can't even remember my address. What do you mean, a verse of Scripture? Yes, you, you need to get God's Word, yes, in your head, but in your heart. Do you know the Bible. See, there are times that you need to have the Word just coming out of you in a moment of temptation. See, that's what helped Joseph, I believe, that in his moment of temptation, when Potiphar's wife was trying to pull him away, he understood something about his relationship with God. He understood something about the Word of God. It kept him from sin. So let God's Word fill your heart. Number three, the third point of wisdom is to avoid people, places, and activities that are likely to lead you to lust. Notice there are three things I've mentioned there. People, places, activities. Say those with me. People, places, and activities. Let me break it down for you. There are certain people that when you get around them, they are sensual in nature. Just being with them is going to set you up in a sensual environment. 
They're oriented already toward lust. They're already oriented toward those values that are contrary to the values of God's Word. And so, as a discerning Christian, as a person who's trying to avoid temptation, you've got to be aware of people that have a spirit that is opposite of the kind of spirit you're wanting to develop in your life. See, sometimes we're so naive when it comes to people. We hang out with people and we don't realize that they're just pulling us down a pathway that we should never be going down. There needs to be some common sense, as we read a few moments ago, discernment, recognition, that there's some people that can come into your life that are not good for you. As soon as you see them coming, you ought to go the other way as fast as you possibly can. And so you avoid certain people. You You avoid places Dear ones, please hear me today. There are places that you shouldn't go to as a Christian. Are you hearing me? Hear my heart. Well, pastor, you're just being legalistic. No, I'm not being legalistic. I'm trying to save you from a lot of trouble. Because when you go to certain places, and I'm not going to try to name those places. You need to be aware of them yourself. But there are certain places, there are environments you can go into that when you step into that environment, you're stepping into a sensual environment. It's an environment that is ripe with lust, an environment that is ripe with sensuality. And again, it's not my purpose to draw up a a list of rules and regulations for you today because I don't want you to obey the letter of the law. I want you to obey the spirit of the law that you in your own life begin to realize. There's some people I'm not going to be around, and there's some places I am not going to go. Why? Because I'm legalistic? No, because I don't want to be drawn into something that can destroy my life. David should never have been on the roof. Can I get an amen to that. It was a place he should have never been. And had David never gone to the roof, and I assure you, David knew what he could see from the roof. He had been there before. I guarantee it. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask him in front of all of you. He's going to say, yes, I'd been there before. Okay. It was a place where he should not have been. And there was a place where he was supposed to be, but he wasn't. In a place where he wasn't supposed to be where he was. And some folks, hey, you say, Pastor, you're getting a little worked up about this. Yes, I am. Because I'm going to save you from some trouble today. There's some people you shouldn't be around. And there's some places you shouldn't go. And there's some activities you should not engage in. This is not legalism. This is protecting you and your future. It's protecting your destiny. It's protecting what you will experience in God and how the adversary is a robber. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. So you make the decision. You know what? There's some people. Nope. Places. Nope. Activities. Nope. No way. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You can say, oh, oh, it's not going to affect me, pastor. Hey, what does the Bible say? Bad company corrupts good people. I don't care how good you are, you get around the wrong group of folks, something's going to happen to you. It will corrupt you. Number four, right? Take control of your eyes. You want to avoid lust? Take control of your eyes. Who controls your eyes? Oh, pastor, I just couldn't help it. I had to look at her. Well, I just couldn't help it. I had to look at that magazine. I had to look at that site. On the, I just had my eyes just went there. No, you know who controls your eyes? You do, okay? You have a choice as to what you're going to look at and not look at. 
you can make a choice. You can tell your eyes, straighten up. Okay? Job said, I made a covenant with my Isn't that interesting? We often think of covenants with people, but, they, but Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Well, what was the covenant? Not to do what? Not to look with lust upon a girl. Job says, you know what? I realize this. Eye things get me in trouble. So I, I made an agreement with my eyes. I covenanted with my eyes that I'm not going to let my eyes go places they should not go. And so what you do is when you see something that's going to attract your attention in a wrong direction, let me encourage you to do it. Just bounce away from it to something else. Just let your eyes go somewhere else. Who's controlling your eyes? You are. Make a choice. Number five, stay busy doing good things. That was David's problem. He was busy. He was not busy doing anything good. He had a lot of idle time. I love Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by what? You will stay out of a lot of trouble if you just fill up your life doing good things. I'm not saying you have to work all the time, but be very careful. If you have large blocks of leisure in your life, Large blocks of time when you, have not, when you don't have anything productive or positive to do, watch out because the enemy loves to play around with times like that. Number six, keep the consequences of sin in mind. When you're being tempted, <clears throat> try, to, try, try to wake yourself up for a moment. Say, time out. Okay, before I go there, let me think about where this road leads. Let me think about what the end result of this road w- would be. Let me ask you this question. Had David on the rooftop stopped and thought about where this might lead, would David have done what he did? No. When he thought about the fact, okay, if I do this, Bathsheba's going to get pregnant potentially, and I got to deal with her husband, and he's one of my soldiers, and I got, you know, what am I going to do here? How am I going to handle this? If he would have thought about all the pain, how are my kids going to handle it? If he thought about all of that, he would have stopped and said, no, I don't want to go there. It's not worth it. The consequences are too painful. And if you and I will stop before we engage in sin and look at where the sin is leading us, it can help you to avoid lots of bad bad mistakes here. I'm just talking about wisdom here. The Bible says in Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is? Now, of course, this is talking about eternal separation from God because we haven't accepted Christ as Lord of our lives, but there's a principle here as well. Sin has a payday. You get a paycheck when you sin, okay? And the paycheck when you sin, the Bible is really clear what's on the paycheck, The paycheck says D-E-A-T-H, death, okay? It destroys your relationships. It destroys, it hurts your relationship with God. And so it leads to no place good. The last thing here is have friends that help you and that, that you help and that help you. How do you avoid temptation, lust? You have some friends in your life that you help and some friends that help you. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, and one standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. See, you need some friends or at least a friend in your life that when you get into trouble, you can call them up. When you're being tempted, you can call them up and say, hey, I need some help. Pray for me. What if David up on that roof, when he got up on the roof and he's starting to feel this weakness of temptation toward looking out and lusting, 
What if he, there was, let, me, let me hold the point right there. Let me tell you about another man in David's life. His name was Nathan the prophet. He was the prophet during the time of David. And ultimately, Nathan the prophet will be the one that confronts David about his sin with Bathsheba. But just remember, Nathan is a buddy there. He's a potential friend for David in the moment. Now, let's go back to David on the roof. So David's up here on the roof. What if at the moment when he's being tempted, what if he texted Nathan? Pray for me, buddy. I'm really being tempted right now. And Nathan would have texted back, get off the roof now. Okay? David, I don't want to. Do it anyway or I'm coming to get you. Okay? You see what I'm talking about? Had David had someone in his life at that moment when he was, when he was feeling most vulnerable, he could have been saved from a lot of pain in his life. And you have, to, you have to develop. See, those are trusting relationships. You just can't form a relationship like that with anybody. You have to have somebody that you know loves you and you love them. It's a trusting relationship. But it keeps you from trouble. It's something that's worth pursuing in your life. Let me lead to the last point, okay? Last point. Recover quickly from any failure in your life. I needed to include this because there are times that we all fail, correct? There are times that we all miss the mark with God. We are all sinners saved by grace. And so I'm not here today to say that you're going to make it 100% of the time here. I'm not, of course, encouraging you to make mistakes or sin. I'm telling you that do everything you can to protect yourself from it. But if you do, if you do miss the mark anywhere and when you do in your life, remember this. Satan loves to, once he's knocked you down, he loves to keep you down. See, this is how absolutely vile and wicked the enemy is. He tempts you, knocks you down, pulls you into sin, and then condemns you for being there. Doesn't he? Look at how horrible you are. God doesn't love you anymore. You think you're a Christian and you behave like that. You did this, and so the adversary just pours on all this condemnation. He heaps it on you. Why? Because if he can heap the condemnation and shame on you, that weight will keep you from doing what? Getting up again, okay? And here's the thing to remember. When you fall down, please listen to me today. When you fall down, if you fall down, whatever it might be, don't stay down. Get up as quickly as you possibly can and run back to God as fast as you can run back to Him. Don't stay down. Don't listen to that lie of the enemy that says you're done with. See, David spent almost an entire year of his life going through condemnation. I don't have time to take you through the story of David's life. It's a fascinating story of seeing how David battled for this almost an entire year with all this guilt and shame about what he'd done and trying to deal with this thing here. He lost, lost a child in the process. All kind of things transpired in David's life, and he's trying to recover. He's trying to get back with God, but God, just, God was there with open arms all along. And David finally gets to a point where he realizes what he needs is he needs just to get everything right with God again. And he pens a psalm that you and I are very familiar with. I'm not going to read the entire psalm for you today, but I will read for you verses 10 through 13 of Psalm 51. This is the prayer that David prayed 
after he recognized his sin with Bathsheba and after Nathan the prophet had confronted him with the reality of what had occurred here and how he needed to get right with God. And David prays this prayer. Listen to it as I read it. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, that is, after you've done this, then I'm going to do something positive. I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David said, God, I'm just going to own up to it. I'm confessing that I blew it. I messed up. I sinned against you. And God, I'm asking that you would forgive me. I'm turning away from that sin and I'm asking you for your forgiveness. I don't want to live there anymore. I want to come back home 100% to you. God, would you recover my life and restore my life and put my life back together again. And God, if I need to make some amends along the way, I'm willing to do it. But God, I'm asking you to bring recovery and restoration to my life. And by the way, God, when you do this in me, I'm going to share my story with other people so that they will not do the same kind of things that I've done, that they can learn from my mistakes. I will turn this mistake into something that is redemptive that is positive for the future. You know what happened? David heard him. God heard David's prayer. God restored him. And a man that was a man after God's own heart but had failed miserably after a time of great misery in his life came back again with full restoration to be used by God. Now, did he have some problems he still had to deal with because of his sin? Of course he did. See, sin always leaves some wake behind you that you have to deal with. But God brought him back and used him and restored him in a powerful way. And God will do the same for you. So the lessons that we've learned about lust, what are they? We've learned that lust follows a predictable pattern. Be be aware of the pattern. Know how it works. Know how temptation works in your life. We've understood that, that you and I can be protected against temptation if we gain wisdom. And I gave you seven points of wisdom that should protect you. And if you do fail, and when you do make mistakes in your walk with God, get up quickly, recover quickly from your failure. Don't stay down. Run back to God as fast as you possibly can. Let's bow our heads together in prayer today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and our lives. We ask you to seal this word in us. I pray you would allow us to gain wisdom from today's message. And may it protect us, Lord, against the onslaughts of the adversary, the temptations that would entice us, May it be a good, sure protection in our life for our future. We ask it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. 
By faith I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.